0: I'm chasing and gunning down an unarmed hundred thousand Americans. Suddenly overwhelmed and overrun. On the all steps of the Chapel Wildfire, three shootings all so at, at Atlanta area massage park during a mass shooting at a busy Colorado supermarket. Why are things so broken? Broken. Broken. Why does evil happen? God, why am I broke? Why does everyone hate someone? Why is the world unfair? Why is the world the way it is? Am I beautiful? Or should I have hope? Why do disasters occur in donation? Why, why, why is the world unhealthy? Why is the What can you do about brokenness? This isn't how things are supposed to be. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Medina East. If you're new or if you're a guest here, my name is Kevin. I'm one of the pastors on staff. Uh, thanks for coming out. Thanks for joining us this morning. I want to give a special welcome to those of you who maybe came here uh, for our Easter services last weekend for the first time, and maybe you took on Pastor Tony's challenge to uh, just to come back and to join us for the next service. So thanks for coming back. Thanks for joining us. Uh, here. Also want to say welcome to those of you watching online, wherever it is you're watching from. Again, um, if, you're, if you want to just uh, check in with us, there should be a number on the screen where you can, you can text in to one of our pastors and just say hello or ask any questions you might have. So, um, so as we get started this morning, uh, I want to start by telling you guys a quick story. And so uh, back when I was in seminary, I was doing college ministry, and we were um, finishing up a retreat with our small group leaders, and so we, every, um, every year before the start of the school year, we'd take them on this, this uh, leaders weekend retreat, and that year, for whatever reason, we took them to, to Kalahari Resort, and so we were out at Kalahari Resort, and at, at the end of that retreat, we were about to drive back to Akron, and we were heading back to an event called Roofest, which was this like just huge freshman outreach event, and so we were finishing up this retreat, we were getting ready to head back. All of our student leaders, they were kind of already out by the vans getting ready to leave, and I was, I was inside like finishing up some final detail, probably checking us out, and I was heading back towards the vans, and as I was heading back, somehow, as I was jogging out, I managed to trip and roll my ankle. And I don't know if you guys have ever had a moment like this, but it was one of those moments where I looked about as unathletic as humanly possible. And so uh, the parking lot that I tripped in, it was like, it was immaculately flat. They had literally... Just repaved it the week before. So this thing is like pristine. And somehow in the middle of like just nothingness, I managed to trip. And so um, it, it was one of those moments, again, where I was, I was uncoordinated enough to trip over nothing. But yet I was coordinated enough to not actually fall. And so as I'm like jogging, I do one of these like things like this. And all of the small group leaders, they're all there. They're all staring at me. And they're loving this, right? They are laughing, they're having a good time, they're letting me hear about it. And it obviously it hurt really bad, but in the moment everyone's looking at me and they're laughing, and so I'm just like, you just gotta laugh this off. So I'm just kinda like inside I'm like, This hurt, and outside I'm like, Ha ah, get in the vans, right? And I just tell everyone, get in the vans, and I jump in the van and we start driving back towards Akron. And so so we start driving back and so I'm sitting in this van for about an hour and a half. And by the time we get back to Akron, my foot is really stiff now, right? It has stiffened up. It is starting to hurt pretty good. But remember, we go back. We're heading straight to this event. And so I get back. I'm like, man, I don't, I don't really have time to think about my ankle. Like, you just got to suck it up. You just like, we got to go for this thing, right? So, so we get back, and I just, I go to Roofest, and I, we're at this event for like four or five hours, and I am walking around, and I'm pushing carts and carrying boxes and doing all the things we need to do for this event. And all throughout the event, I just keep thinking to myself, man, my ankle really hurts, right? But you're trying not to, like, you're meeting people. You're like, hi, right? Like, And you're trying to, like, just be friendly and, and keep pushing through. And so eventually the event ends, and we get everything put away back at the church. And I get back to my house, and I sit down on the couch, and I go, okay, let, let's, see, let's see what your ankle looks like. And so I sit down to take off my shoe to see, and I, I what I expect to find is a really swollen ankle, right? I, I've rolled my ankle before. I'm like, okay, it's going to be swollen. It's just just the way it is, you'll be, you'll be fine in a couple of weeks. And I take off my shoe, and I, I realize my ankle's not actually that swollen. But on the top of my foot is this little lump that looks like you cut a golf ball in half and just stuck it on the top of my foot. And I thought, that's not a good sign. And so, uh, so I ice it off and on and kind of sleep with it elevated because it was about eight, seven or eight o'clock at night at that point. And the next morning I wake up, and that thing hurts even more than it did the day before. And so eventually I give in, and I decide I'm gonna drive myself to the hospital And sure enough, somehow in the middle of that perfectly flat parking lot in Sandusky, I didn't just roll my ankle, I managed to actually break my foot. And then, probably because of my own stupidity, I decided to walk on said foot for four or five hours, which my doctor was not exactly happy about when I mentioned that to him. Now normally, normally when you or I, when we experience pain, pain is not a good thing. Right? 99% of the time, pain is not something we want To feel or experience. It's something we try to avoid at all costs. But even though we don't like pain, I think pain does still serve a purpose. And one of those purposes is to alert us to the fact that something is wrong, that something is off, that something might be broken. Right? If my body did not send pain signals from my foot all the way up to my brain, I would have never known my foot was broken. I would have kept going kept on walking on it, kept on using it, not because I was stupid, but because I just I would not have known that my foot was broken. And so while I don't enjoy pain, I'm really glad my foot continued to scream at me that day so that I knew, hey, you need to go do something about this. You need to get this thing checked out. Pain is a reminder to us that things are broken, that they are not the way they are supposed to be. Now, the reality is we live in a world that is full of pain everywhere that you look. Right? If you get out your phone and just do a quick scroll of your newsfeed, you will find that reality everywhere. It is, sometimes it is overwhelming. You will see natural disasters and diseases. You will see bombings and shootings. You will see that there are people who are treated less because of their color of their skin. There will be people who abuse the positions of powers that they have. There are shattered marriages, damaged relationships, families that are estranged from each other. There are people who have far more in this world than they will ever need, and there are other people who are literally starving. And in the midst of all of this pain and suffering, I think that there should be alarms going off in our brains that tell us something is off. Something is wrong. This world is not the way it was supposed to be. I remember when I was uh, about 33 years old that uh, I got a phone call one day where that reality was like forced upon me. And the phone call I got that day was that one of my childhood friends, someone the exact same age as me, had just died of a heart attack. And I, like, I, there's all sorts of emotions that are like going through your brain and you're trying to process stuff. And I remember thinking to myself, he was 33. God, people aren't supposed to, to die like that. Right, this is... This is not the way things were supposed to be. And I imagine for some of you in this room that you have stories and examples that you can uh, unfortunately recount in your life that are very personal as well, right? Some of you may have grown up in homes where your parents were alcoholics and you have times of your life that you would rather not think about or ever speak about again. Some of you, you too have lost someone due to cancer or due to some other really unfortunate and just, man, God, that's, it doesn't seem right. Some of you in this room, you are battling eating disorders or battling depression. And again, the list could go on, but this, this is not how things are supposed to be. And so today we're going to kick off a brand new series as we've talked about that's called Broken because, well, our world sure seems to be broken. And I think internally, we all know that to be true. We all sense that. But here's the thing. There's a catch to that statement. Because if our world truly is broken, then that means that there has to be an unbroken version that existed at some point in the past. Right? If this is not how the world is supposed to be, then that means there has to be a way the world was supposed to be. Right? In order for my foot to be broken, That means at some point prior to that moment, at somewhere in the past, my foot had to have existed in a whole and healthy and unbroken state. And I think that the same is true of the world around us. If our world truly is broken, if we believe that, then at some point in the past, it must have existed in a whole and healthy state. And so if that question is true. The next question to ask then is, well, how do we find out what healthy originally looked like, right? How do we know how things were supposed to be? Because if there was an original unbroken design at some point in the past, then here's the thing. We don't get to decide or choose what that looks like. The question is, that's already been decided. The question is, can we figure out what unbroken actually looks like, right? When, my, when the doctor told me my foot was broken, he didn't then ask me, hey, how would you like me to put it back together, Right? He didn't care about my opinion or my preference because an unbroken foot, that's already been determined. That's a fixed reality. It's already decided. And again, the same thing is true of the world we live in. Whatever healthy is, it's a fixed reality. It's not based on our preference or our opinion. It's a reality that we must figure out, can we discover this? And then if we do, then we get to decide individually what we're gonna do with that. And so the good news for us today is that God actually gives us a glimpse into that reality. He doesn't make a search for it or a guess for it. He shows us exactly what unbroken and healthy was designed to look like. So if you guys have a Bible with you, we're going to be uh, in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 today. And uh, if you don't have one, you can find one in the seat back in front of you. And we are going to be on page number 1, so I trust that you guys have the skills to navigate your way there. And uh, now a lot of times what we do is we kind of get out our microscope and we will pick a passage and we will zoom in on a a particular section of scripture and kind of dissect it and pull it apart. And this morning what we're going to do is a little bit different. We're actually going to zoom out today, kind of like if you you had Google Earth or something like that and you start in your house and you zoom out. So we're going to intentionally zoom out so that we can see kind of a big picture narrative of what God is up to and what he has been doing. Now before we dive into Genesis 1, let me set the context for you. So as you start to study the book of Genesis, most scholars would agree that the book of Genesis was written by a man named Moses. And if that is indeed the case, then the first people who would have read the book of Genesis would have been a group of people known as the Israelites. And even if you don't believe in God, history does record that the Israelites was a real group of people. They actually existed, and they spent a significant amount of their existence in slavery in Egypt— under some of the great pharaohs of history. That's important. That'll come back in a minute. And so as you read through Genesis 1 and 2, there are two major themes that should jump out to you as you kind of read through those books, uh, th- those chapters. And the first theme is this. It's that God created, right? This is an unavoidable theme that you see. It just comes up over and over as you start reading through Genesis 1 and 2. Let me give you a couple of examples. Genesis 1, 1, the very first verse says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1.21 says, so God created the great creatures of the sea and every winged bird according to its kind. Genesis 1.27, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And so now that might not seem too shocking to some of you. That that's an obvious thing that you see in Genesis 1. But again, remember who this is written to. So, the Israelites, they've just spent 400 years enslaved in Egypt, which was an incredibly polytheistic culture that had a God for everything. They had sun gods and moon gods and gods of the sea and gods of plants and gods of the afterlife. And so, it's into this polytheistic worldview that God says, Listen up, Israel. I know that you've been living in a world of polytheism where there was a God for everything. But I am here to tell you there are not many gods. There is only one God. And not only did I create everything, I am in control of everything, right? God is declaring his singularity to them. Now, for those of you guys who know the story, I think God is actually trying to communicate the exact same thing when he sends the plagues and frees them out of slavery in Egypt, now, my guess is for those of you who grew up in church, like you think of the, the story of the plagues as like a cute Sunday school story where God's like showing off and he's doing all these cool miraculous things. But what God is actually doing is he is systematically emasculating the Egyptian gods one by one. Let me, let me give you an example, right? So uh, they believe that Ra is the God of the sun, right? And so into that context, God said, oh, you think, you think this guy's in control of the sun? I'm gonna send you a plague of darkness, and I'm going to show you exactly who's in control of the sun. How about this one? They had this, this little blue guy whose name, his name is Happy, which we feel like there's a joke there, but we're just going to move on because, I don't know, it's probably going to come out bad. So, uh, so they believed Happy was a fertility god who controlled the Nile. And so I think God was like, oh, that's cute. You think this guy controls the Nile? I have a plague for you. I'm going to turn the Nile into blood. Who's in control of the Nile? It's not your God, right? So God is declaring to them over and over and over that he and he alone is in control of everything. The healthy and unbroken world that we long for is not an accident. It's something that was intentionally designed for us. And the first theme that we find in Genesis 1 and 2 is that God, singular, he created it. Here's the second theme. And it was good. Right? It was good. Not only did God create, but he created things good. Now, anytime you're studying a passage of Scripture, one of the ways to tell what is important to the author is by the things that he repeats. Anytime something is repeated, it's something that is just a way that they could emphasize. This is really important. You should pay attention to it. And you see this over and over and over in the beginning of Genesis 1 and 2, right? So Genesis 1, 4, God saw that the light was good. Genesis 1.10, and God saw that it was good. 1, 12, and he saw that it was good, and he saw that it was good, and he saw that it was good. Genesis 1, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. You just, you just notice the theme here, right? The picture that we have of the original design was that it was good. It was unbroken, it was whole. There's no pain found in Genesis 1 and 2 because nothing is wrong. Nothing is broken. Everything is exactly how it is designed to be. Now, obviously, as we talked about earlier, the problem is that's, that's not the world that we live in. Right? The world we live in is filled with pain and brokenness everywhere we look. And so the question becomes, well, okay, well, what, what went wrong? And the answer that the Bible gives us is that what we did, we went wrong, right? And so as you move into Genesis chapter three, we find that mankind chooses to deviate and to walk away from God's original good design and that we decided to try and do things our own way. Instead of trusting his design, we decided that we were gonna come up with our own. And when we did that, it set off a chain of events that far exceeded anything that I think we could have ever imagined. And so what I wanna do now is I'm gonna read us through part of that event in Genesis chapter three. And here's the danger of doing that. If you've grown up in church, you have probably read this account literally a hundred times. And when you become super familiar with the passage, sometimes you just gloss over things and you just move right past some important details of what God's trying to say. So as I read through this, here's the challenge I wanna give you. I want you to listen for ways that pain and brokenness have now entered the story. Okay, so I'm going to read through some of Genesis 3, and I want you to listen to how pain and brokenness have now entered the story. So, chapter 3, starting in verse 6, we read this When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together. from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Now you see man hiding from God and hiding from each other. Pain is now entered in. Shame has now entered in. They start to blame God. They start to blame each other. And a world that was once unbroken is now broken. A world that was once painless is now full of pain. And things are no longer the way they were supposed to be. Now, in Christian circles, this passage is known as the fall, and I think specifically there are actually four ways, four categories in which things fell, four relationships that actually broke in that moment. The first of those relationships is this. It's the relationship between God and man. This is the one that you guys will probably be most familiar with, but in Genesis 2, the picture of God and man, God and humans, is that they have an unhindered relationship, Right? There is nothing that exists, no tension that stands between God and man. Everything is good. But post the fall, that relationship, it's now broken. If you look back at verse 8, when the man and the woman hear God walking in the garden, what do they do? They hide. When they used to run towards God, now they find themselves running away from God. Right? Something is clearly wrong now. Second relationship uh, that I think fell was this one. It was the one between man and man, the relationship between humans. One of the immediate results we see is that they cover themselves, right? Before that, humans were comfortable around each other, but now they're not. You also see this when God questions Adam, uh, right? He blames Eve instantly. He says his response, he says, it's the woman's fault. It's the one that you put here. She did this, right? Their relationship, no longer healthy, Definitely broken. Third way in which we fell, I think, is that we actually fell with ourselves. Now, this one might be a little bit harder for some of you to wrap your mind around, but again, if you read through all of Genesis 2, we're told that they are naked and unashamed, but in chapter three, they are now covering themselves. Shame has now entered in. Guilt has now entered in. They are now experiencing things like self-doubt and feelings of inadequacy, and I think that there was an internal brokenness that entered the story in this moment that maybe we don't spend enough time thinking or talking about. And lastly, now, I think there is even tension that exists between man and creation. Cursed is the ground because of you, thorns and thistles it will produce for you. We are told that the impact of the fall is so extensive that it even causes brokenness between us and the physical world in which we live. Now, if you're here today and maybe you're, you're not a believer, maybe you're someone who took on Tony's challenge and you just decided to come back for the next series and you're just, you're just kind of exploring who God is, right? But regardless of where you are, I think you have to admit that these four things sure make a lot of sense of the world we live in, right? These four things, if they truly are broken, if they are not the way things are supposed to be, then that should accurately describe a, painful, a pain-filled world in which we live. And I think if any of us, if we were just to step back and take an honest assessment of things, man, I think it doesn't take long to realize just how accurate Genesis 3 has proven to be. And at the same time, I think we can also see that Genesis 1 and 2 are still true as well. Right, That even though the world is broken, that when we look at the world around us, we can still see the goodness and the beauty of the world that God created for us. Right? I think creation still points to a good and loving God. Now, we're going to spend a whole lot more time fleshing each of these things out in more detail in the rest of the series. Right? That's where we're headed with the rest of this. But for today, let me start by giving you guys four reasons why I think understanding this and kind of being able to zoom out and see the bigger picture of God's narrative, why understanding this is so important. I got four reasons for you guys this morning. Here's the first one. The first one is because I think this helps us make sense of our world. I think this helps us make sense of our world. When we have a proper understanding of both the good world that God created for us and the ways in which it fell, I think this gives us a framework to start processing the brokenness when we encounter it. God, why is there so much hate in the world? Why is there a war? God, why did my parents divorce? God, why did I get cancer, right? Our list of questions can go on and on. And let's be honest, there are no easy answers to any of those questions. Those are hard questions. Those are deep questions. But I do think a right understanding of both creation and the fall gives us the proper framework from which to start processing our questions to start processing the brokenness that we find all around us. I also think this gives us a framework to start processing the brokenness that we find inside of us, right? God, why am I so insecure? God, why do I get angry so easily? God, why do I feel so alone? If we don't have an understanding of who God created us to be and how things went wrong, then we have no chance of dealing with we're addressing the brokenness that we find inside of us. And again, I think a proper understanding of both creation and the fall, I think it helps us make sense of our world and it gives us the framework from which we can start to move forward. Here's another reason uh, I think it's so important I think it's because I think this helps us make sense of God. I think this framework helps us make sense of God. I know for me personally, the moment when I I finally started to be able to zoom out and see a little bit of the bigger picture of what God was doing, there were so many other things about God that started to click and started to fall into place for me. Let me give you guys just a couple of examples. And so, you know all of those laws and rules in the Old Testament, right? There's like 600 some of them. Did you know that every single one of those, every law, every rule, they all point us back to how we were originally designed and created to live, that every single law in the Old Testament points to how we were supposed to live in relationship to one of those four relationships that I just talked about that fell. They all point us back to a good and healthy design. And when you rightly understand this, you start to realize that God is not trying to restrict us with his laws, and he's not trying to catch us with his laws, He's actually trying to help us and to free us with his laws, right? God is giving us and he gave his people a blueprint for healthy, healthy what? Healthy everything. One of my favorite authors is a guy by the name of A.W. Tozer and he wrote uh, one of his books, he wrote is called uh, Knowledge of the Holy and in that book he said it like this. He said, God is holy And he has made his holiness the moral condition necessary to the health of his universe. Let me read that one more time. God is holy, and he has made his holiness the moral condition necessary to the health of his universe. Right from the very beginning, God has given his people instructions for how to live. And those instructions, they point us back to his good and perfect, unbroken design. I think this also helps us start to make thing, make sense of things like this, like God's wrath, right? Like these major huge topics that just sometimes we we get a little overwhelmed with and try and figure out how to how do I reconcile this. A.W. Tozer in that same book, he goes on to say this. He says, Every wrathful judgment in the history of the world has been a holy act of preservation. The holiness of God, the wrath of God, and the health of creation are inseparably united. You see, we tend to see God's wrath in opposition to his love. Like, how can these two things fit together? But I think what Tozer rightly pieces together is that, in fact, God's wrath is actually an act of love. It shows that God is forcefully against the things that are unhealthy and that threaten to hurt the creation that he desperately loves. I think one of the reasons all of this is so important is because this stuff helps us it helps us make sense of God. A third reason I think this is so important is because I think this reveals our need for Jesus. Right? This reveals our need for Jesus. The Bible teaches us that the more aware we become of our own sin and the more we understand our own brokenness, the more dependent on and appreciative of Jesus we should and will become, right? Because before you can truly understand and appreciate a savior, you need to understand why you need saving in the first place. And when you start to truly understand the depth of your own sin, you quickly realize that no quick, there is no quick fix And there is no self-help program that will do. Only Jesus can save us from that. And this is precisely why he came, right? We just spent the last couple months working our way through the book of Luke, which tells us that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. The book of Colossians tells us that he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The book of 2 Corinthians tells us that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, right? Now hear that in light of what we just talked about, right? Good, unbroken creation. We find ourselves in a broken world and Jesus offers to make us a new creation, right? Hear what he is saying to us. Now we're gonna spend an entire teaching on this next week, but the starting place to addressing the brokenness of our world, it has to start by first allowing Jesus to address the brokenness in us. Which leads us to number four God calls us to join him in his mission. He calls us to join him in his mission. Now, for those of us in the room who are followers of Jesus, I think one of the challenges for us is that we cannot stop at number three. We absolutely cannot stop there. We have to move forward and step into number four. Because while Jesus is the only solution to the brokenness in our world, as his image bearers, he often chooses us as the means through which he's going to do that. This is why the Bible calls us the body of Christ. This is why the Apostle Paul goes even as far as calling us co-laborers with Christ, and again, we're going to flesh this out in a lot more detail in the weeks to come. But all throughout the Bible, God is calling his people to join him in this mission to bring hope and healing to a lost and broken world. And there is an ultimate sense where God will fully and finally do that one day in something the Bible refers to as new creation. In Revelation 21, we actually get a glimpse into that reality. It says this, it says, one day he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. The Bible clearly teaches that one day God will fully and finally heal all things. And so right now we find ourselves living in between a good creation that God had for us and a new creation that one day his followers will get to spend eternity in. And while the Bible teaches that we should absolutely long for that day, it also teaches us that there is absolutely something we can do about the brokenness in this life. It teaches us that these four falls are not just about things that God is going to do someday in the future, but that these are things he is inviting us to step into right now. And while we can never fully undo the brokenness this side of heaven in the spheres in which God's people live out and trust God's good and perfect design, not only do we get to enjoy the fruit of that in this life, we also get to be a foretaste to the world around us of what God has in store for those who choose to follow him. It is both a beautiful privilege and an incredible responsibility. So I'm gonna invite the band, To come back up here, but as they're coming, the the question I just want to leave you with is this. It's, are you willing to join God in his mission? Are you willing to join him in this? And again, we're going to flesh out what exactly that means and what that looks like a whole lot more over the course of the rest of this series. But the challenge for us is going to be, throughout this series, is going to be twofold. It's going to be one, God, I want to allow you to heal and fix and address the brokenness in me. But then it can't stop there. It has to move into the next one where it says, okay, and now God, I'm gonna follow you in your call to step into the brokenness and be a source of hope and healing to the world around us. Again, it is an incredible responsibility and a beautiful privilege. That's where we're headed. And I hope you guys will stick out this series and join us with it. So let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for the fact that you did create a beautiful and amazing world for us to live and exist in. God, we want to just confess and admit that we, we didn't trust it, and we still don't trust it. God, we still, and I often still, want to do things my own way. So God, I pray that you would help us start by simply acknowledging that you and you alone have determined healthy. You have determined the good and unbroken design that we are called to live in. So God, would you help me and would you help us in this room? Would you help us submit ourselves under that? Would you help us trust you and trust in the life that you have called us to live? God, I pray for those in the room right now who are bringing in some serious pain and some serious brokenness. God, maybe it's something that's happening right now and maybe it's something that has happened in the past that they are still carrying with them. God, I know I don't have the words to solve that or fix that, but I know that only you, can meet them there and that you can step into that brokenness and that pain with them. God, I ask that you would do that and I ask that both today and over the course of this series that you would just start a process of healing in a way that only you can do. Father, we love you. We trust you. Thank you for being good. Thanks for loving us. We ask these things in your son's name. Amen.